Good afternoon and welcome to the Minnesotan Pod. Today we bring in a Minnesotan from Duluth, Minnesota, Brett Larson, the head coach of St. Cloud State. We're going to learn about his playing career, his coaching career, a little bit about his personal life, and we'll knock out some topics too that are related to Division I uh, men's hockey. Hope you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good afternoon, Mr. Larson. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's a it's an honor to meet you. I've followed your path. Um, I have a funny story. Um, I was in a car uh, with a important person. We won't say who his name is, and you were talking to him, and it was on speaker. And uh, and as the conversation ended, I said to the guy I was with, I said, "Now that seems like head coach material." And he goes, "Oh yeah, he'll be a head coach someday." Wow, and that was it was cool. It was really nice. cool. We were talking about something, and obviously, I was just like, "Mum's the word," you know. Yeah, and, yep. and and I'm like, "If you want me to get out of the car," he goes, "No, no, it's good. This guy's a really nice guy, or whatever." And I didn't know who you were. This was about eight or nine years ago. I think you were at Ohio State, okay. at the time, and you were asking about players, and and he you he would ask a player, and he would look at me, and I'd be like this or like that, <laughs> and he'd be like, "Yeah, he's good, good player." You nice. Know? Was, but that's the way the community small is. Small world, the hockey it's world, such right? A small, it is. You know, crazy world that it works, but I was like, that guy seems like, and then, and then I did some, re- I got out of the car, I did some research, like, who's this guy, you know, Ohio State, and then I, what I learned was, you were a Duluth guy, and I'm like, this guy played at Denfeld in the 80s, yeah. and to me, that was immediately interesting, because it wasn't just some guy that, you know, grew up with a silver spoon, you know, because yep. so, even back then, the west side was a little rougher west, part of town. W- west and, Duluth was the blue collar part of town. Do, what were your parents? Tell me about your yeah, parents. How my, did you grow up? Well, my dad was a policeman. My mom was a school teacher, and uh, uh, typical blue collar life. I think uh, right there in West Duluth, growing up, up across from uh, Denfeld High School, and climbing the fence, sneaking into the stadium, playing uh, playing pickup football in the afternoons in the fall, and and uh, playing ball hockey in the alleys in the winter, and and uh, growing up at Merritt Park. So, uh, parents, you talk about that. Do you have any brothers, sisters yep. that kind of influenced your your sports? Well, uh, yeah, my brother influenced it in a, in a totally roundabout way. So, my brother's younger than me, and uh, and his name's Reed Reed Larson. Um, so, uh, not named. Not, I don't. My dad never said that's who we named him after. But uh, funny story. I'm out at the Select 16 camp in Colorado Springs, and they they do a, a scout book and a, a, you know for people that come to watch it. And my dad flew out there to watch it and. Um, he said the first coach was from Michigan. He said the Michigan coach came up to him and said, hey, are you Brett's dad? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, does Brett shoot the puck as hard as his brother? And my brother at the time was like eight. And he goes, yeah, shoots it way harder than him. I don't you know. And another coach came up and said, has Brett learned a lot from his brother? And my dad's starting to think, what's going on? Well, they they just assume when they put the book together that I was the brother of the I always tell my brother the other Reed Larson. Uh, well, then there's you know, the Reed Larson who's the coach at Grand Rapids. Yep, and, yep, you've got that one. But, yeah. but but they were thinking it was the NHL All Star defense yes, with oh, Reed Larson who had the yeah. who had the big shot and everything else. So kind of funny. I think maybe I got noticed because everyone thought I was the younger brother of the real Reed the Larson, real as Reed I Larson. tell my brother. Um, uh, but that's how it all started. So I, I've got a younger brother, younger sister. Uh, brother lives in the cities now. Sister. There's a uh, um, school counselor up in Cloquet, so she's 
stay close to home, but uh, that's the family. So you grew up in Merritt Park. I didn't even hear oh, about yeah. Merritt. Tell me it's about Merritt Park, the best. what it's all about. Merritt, uh, the only bad thing about Merritt Park is our, our jerseys were maroon and gold and had a big M on the front for nice. Merritt. It uh, looked very <laughs> similar to a different jersey. Yeah. And uh, uh, other than that, you know what, it was – uh, I grew up only a few blocks away, and after school, it's what you did. You grabbed your skates, threw your boots on, and you walked up to Merritt, and um, you played some hockey. You, you also chased some girls around out of the out of the broom yep, ball rink I a little bit, that. and, I remember and that. that's where you where you where you lived, and uh, that's what we did. Played pickup hockey every day. I mean, you'd, you'd have your team practice, but I think the best part is once your team practice was over, you stayed around and played shinny until they shut the lights off. And I told you to go. Uh, home, you know, right? my the rule was when the lights went out, I was supposed to be home in ten minutes. Yeah. And uh, and that's what it was. That's what I grew up with. Uh, so you played at, at, at Denfeld in the heyday, yep. as we would call it, for the Hunters. What what was so special about the group of guys that you played with? Who were some of the guys that were your buddies and yeah. that kind of thing? Well, number one, like I said, growing up, playing outdoors and playing with all those guys, for most for the most part, by the time we got to Denfeld, we had played together for so long and known each other for so long. and. You know, Jason Francisco was a really cool story. I thought Jason was our captain. He was a senior when I was a freshman, our first year of the That's state tournament like together. That's his cousin then, It's right? his cousin, yep. yep. And uh, uh, Jason, just for whatever reason, even though he grew up in Duluth, he wanted to be a Badger his whole life. That was his dream. Uh, other schools offered him scholarships. The Badgers offered him a walk-on. He, he went and walked on at Wisconsin. And um, five years later, after being redshirted, wore the C for the Badgers. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool dream come true for him uh like i said turned down scholarship offers other places because that's where he wanted to go and went with no scholarship and then ended up being their captain and there's some gunderson brothers too they were Gu- in there, gunderson's right? were in there a little bit younger than me they were uh, younger mark than gunderson okay. and ended up at uh at umd dave gunderson went out to providence um those were merit guys uh tony burns um Kind of a sad story, but actually my best friend grew up down the block. Tony and I were both drafted by the Red Wings in, in 1990. Um, Tony went to St. Cloud State and um, uh, then went and played pro hockey a little bit. Unfortunately, passed away at a real young age in his early 40s. But uh, Tony Burns was, was the... Tony Burns was the pride of Merritt Park. I mean, he he had as much talent as anybody. He had a huge slap shot. Everybody loved him. Um, came to St. Cloud here right at their transition yeah. to the D1 era. And, uh, and, and yeah, Tony was just a, a great guy out of merit. All right. So how did you pick, what was the recruiting story? Uh, you were kind of a local star and yep. ended up going to UMD to play for Surditch. And boy, did you walk into a, just the, the cabbage patch of talent there. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of great players. What was, did you, did you have too many a recruiting great, story? Too, too many great players my freshman year when I was in and out of the lineup every night. So, yep. uh, yeah, a, a little bit. I, I do. I, um, you know, I was looking at some different schools. It's interesting growing up uh, in that blue collar kind of mentality. Well, you don't know a lot of what's really out there. You know, I mean, Way I different than today. Uh, you everything know, I thought is public. Right everything's today. public. You just yeah. didn't know. I thought, hey, I want to grow up in Duluth. I want, I want to be a policeman when I'm done. That's what my dad was, and and uh, ended up um, getting a criminology major at UMD. But uh, I had some offers from these schools. That, you know, the Boston College coach, uh, Len Siglarski, came in at the time, and you know, uh, sat on my front porch. And uh, Notre Dame came to my house and uh, had a had a half ride off from Minnesota, some interest from Wisconsin. So uh, really interesting process of starting to look at some schools that I just, you know, growing up, I, I Notre Dame, I knew the football, and but Boston right. College, I didn't. So anyway, um, I, I really thought maybe I would look at some of those schools, and I'll never forget I was out at the Select 18 camp with Coach Sertich out in Lake Placid, New York, 
And uh, I remember putting our, his arm around me after a game, and he said, I know you're looking at these other schools, but uh, you, I know where you grew up, and I know what you want to do, and we really want you to be a Bulldog. We want to get this done. And at the end of the day, I knew in my gut that that's where I wanted to go. Jack Parker would tell you the other side of that story, and he still tells it to this day. It's just funny that he still remembers it. He coached me on the Select 17 team that summer and, um, and said, Brett, I'll recruit you if you tell me that you're not going to go to UMD for sure. If you if you if you're at least willing to look around, if if you're for sure going to UMD, I won't recruit you. I said no, right. coach. I'm willing to look around, and he he laughed that he got a call from me two weeks later and said I'm committing to UMD. <laughs> so you don't I, know what you don't know. You don't right? know as a young kid, and and uh, you know what I grew up around the around the locker room at UMD. My the my neighbor right behind us was a guy named Kevin Smalley who played on the team a little bit. Kevin didn't play a ton, but he was on the team. And his dad's nickname was Badger Bob, but Bob would have the best walleye fish fries around and they'd have the whole team over the house. So I was a little kid and I would sneak across the alley and I'd be having walleye with Brett Hull and Jimmy Johnson and Bill Watson and Norm McIver and uh, the heyday of UMD hockey. And, and I got to, those guys took me under their wing and I get to hang around those guys and, you know, they'd give me sticks after games and I'd, I'd get to play pond hockey with them at, at times. And for me, I guess, uh, even though I looked around a little bit, there's probably no doubt where I was going to end up playing. Where were you in the, the, the night of the Bowling Green game? You must have been 12, Yeah, I was 10, 11, probably 12. 10, 11, 12, yeah. obviously watching the game with my parents. And uh, just the devastation of a, a four-overtime loss a couple of years in a row, a three-overtime and a four-RPI and, and Bowling Green and those those games. And uh, I guess what was really cool for me is to remember that as a kid and then – to literally see the full grown-up man in full tears crying, Bill Watson, uh, after we won the first one in 2011 and what it meant to him uh, to go through it and not be able to get it done and then and then see it get done finally. I was, you already kind of stole my thunder. So there. sorry. Was, no, it was kind of like, it wasn't yeah, yeah. like a setup question, but it was yeah. super easy. Like, so you saw it as a kid. Uh, you felt it as a player because you made the Frozen Four with, with, the, with the team in 92, 93, but... But then you got to experience it in 11 and then yeah. again, you know, seven or eight years later in St. Paul. And yep. There's so many special ones. I still think that 17-18 team is the one that really has to feel good because you, you didn't play on your home ice, but it was on home ice. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, that was, I think the 17-18 team was the year where um, we might have had four or five freshman defensemen in the lineup that year. We weren't picked to do a ton. Yeah. Um, and uh, but Scotty Prunovich was a freshman that year, and, and Dylan Sandberg, and a bunch of those guys. And I uh, give Coach Sandel a Rail lot of, a lot team of Louis too, right? Rail and, yep. and guys like that. And uh, Sandy let those guys develop throughout the year. We took some lumps early, we took some lumps throughout the year, but I think that that allowing them just to play through everything and um, and, and develop was what helped a, a decor become a really good decor and help us win that year. Right. Uh, obviously, Hunter Shepard helped a lot too. Yeah, we'll get the, we'll yeah. go back there if we can. We yeah. run out of time here, maybe not. Uh, but okay, so you you get to UMD, you play for Yasserdi. Um, it was your sophomore year. You had uh, Plant, Marinucci, Power, Roloff, on and on. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. That team, did you win the regular season WCHA? Regular season WCHA and then lost to go to the Frozen Four actually by a goal to Lake Superior State in Detroit. Uh, Lake State went on to win it that year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, college years, what do you take away from your college years 
uh, you know, just for for life and what what you, what you learn. But what did you take away from it for from now? You're you're coaching your D1 coach. What were those things that you still kind of lean on? As because you know you have your experience, right? You had your experience playing, yep. and you can transfer some of your experience as a player to these kids here at St. Cloud State. I think the biggest thing that that I learned there is is um, and trying to create the environment where players are. It's okay to make mistakes. I think the teams that that do the best understand that it's an imperfect game. That even Sidney Crosby is going to make make a mistake in games. Creating the environment where um, guys work extremely hard or highly competitive, but they're not gripping so, the stick so tight that they can't play. I remember my first year or two. I mean, I get to Sunday and think, oh, I can finally breathe and relax a little bit. I felt so much tension, and and it was it was me building own, that up so much, my own tension and trying to find that line of pushing the players, hold them accountable, but al- allowing them to play free where they, they can use the instincts that they recruited for. You recruited them for certain reasons, right? As a coach and uh, making sure that they can still play free, that they can still uh, use their instincts, that they know that, you know what, turnovers are going to happen as long as you hit your edges and back check hard, then, Hey, you know, don't be afraid to try that play again the next time. Maybe it gets under the triangle and out of the tape, you know. But I, I found the teams that have struggled the most are teams that get to the point where they're gripping it so much that they can't play free. And um, that, that that line of accountability and freedom is a fine line, but but I think the best programs find a way to, to, to find that. When you're coaching – God, this isn't even part of the t- script, but when you're coaching in a game, momentum is so huge. Um, what do you do when you get that, when, when you feel like that team is gripping it? How do you, you kind of get them to relax? I mean, it's tough. It is tough, it, it, and it, it depends, you know, why they're gripping it. Are they gripping it because we're not sharp and we're, you know, we're causing our own troubles for the most part? Or is it one of those games where, to be honest, the other team's just rolling uh, and, and they're going, and you, and you have to fight those momentum swings that way a little bit. Um, usually what we talk about, and it happened in Mankato multiple times this last weekend, is uh, talk a, lot, about a, roller coaster, a lot of the best teams right? are momentum teams, right? Yeah. Once they get that momentum and they're pinning you back, um, what we're trying to do in those moments is not beat ourselves. Rely on our structure, rely on our work, understand that, yeah, they may extend some shifts in your zone, but as long as we're not giving them second third opportunities, as long as we're taking away the, the danger areas, we'll li- live to fight another day and, right. and, and we'll work our way through those situations. All right, last question about you as a college player. How would you describe the way you played and the way you coach? Are you, are you, is, there, is there similarities? Were you a freewheeling well, player? No, and then I a, wasn't. Right? And, and maybe that's why I try to learn from, and maybe when you asked the question earlier, I think maybe I learned a lot from myself because unfortunately for me, I was way too uptight as a player. I was too, way too worried about making mistakes. I wanted to please the coach. Uh, I was trying to do every little thing right, and um, – and it just, I felt I was always way too uptight as a player. You're and trying I, to play the 10 out of 10 game yes, versus yes, just a, the, a good 9 out of 10, Exactly. Right? And, and you know what's funny is uh, is is just human nature, unfortunately, of, and I remember Surdy telling me this. He goes, Brett, you made, you know, I'm making this number up, but you made 99 good plays and you made one bad one. And he said, you're, you're negative and you're down and you're worried because you're focused on the one bad thing you did versus the 99 good things. And I think as a lot of times as players, we have a tendency to over overanalyze the negatives and forget that we made a bunch of good plays out there. And, and you don't feel as good about the good plays as you do about the one bad play. You feel bad. So I, I think I learned a lot just going through that about the mental part of the game and, and trying to get players to trust in who they are, trust in the reason they've been recruited, trust in, in who we are as a culture and a group and understand that just go out there and play. 
just go out there and play and give it everything you've got and and trying to find that environment where guys can do that. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. All right, so you had a 11 or 12-year post-college career, which took you basically all over the globe, all over the Northern yep. Hemisphere at least. I mean, you yep. Denmark, and you played in all different levels. And, in fact, you were at least once, maybe twice, based on my research, a player coach, like a Reg Dunlop, yep. right? Yep, um, <laughs> That's, that was what they called us, too, back then. <laughs> it was saving money in those budgets and those teams yes! at the time. But it was for a guy that wanted to get into coaching. And my, my, my best experience was uh, I was in San Diego for four years. Uh, it was called the West Coast Hockey League at the time, which was it was a good league. But we were, you know, I was still trying to get up back to then. It was the old IHL. And the right. IHL was a really good league. And the Minnesota Moose used to have a yep. team and, and, yep. and that league there. And it was really respected. And I was getting called up to Las Vegas in the IHL. I was getting called up to Long Beach in the IHL. I was getting called up to U Utah in the IHL. So you're basically a free agent. Free then, agent. Right? Any yeah, of them yeah. can call you up. Yeah. And, and Steve Martinson, our coach, was really helping try to move me up my first two years in San Diego. To the point I was getting called up so much that Marty called me one day and he, he goes, Brett, you got called up to Long Beach. The game's tonight at 7, you know. Gotta, and I had multiple times got called up to Long Beach or Utah or Vegas. Out of San Diego. Out of San Diego. Yeah, yeah. So I get in my car and I drive up there and I... Uh, and are you guaranteed to play then? Uh, usually, yes. It usually it, it usually right means they're, they're short, the bench, right? right? Yeah. Usually, if you get a call up, there somebody got hurt or whatever. Somebody right. got called up to the NHL that night. You got to go yep. replace them. Yep. Um, so I get called up. I bring get my bag out, put it in the locker room in Long Beach, and um, start warming up, stretching. Nikolai Abibulin was the goalie that year, which is pretty cool to play in yeah. front of him. He was holding out. Um, and anyway, I'm talking to some of the guys because I had played a couple games for him before, and the coach walks in and looks at me. John Van Boxmeer, his name was. He goes, Larson, what are you doing in here? I go, I got called up. <laughs> Not to us, you didn't. I had actually got called up to Vegas. Marty told me the wrong no. team. I had to grab my bag and pack it up and walk down the hallway and, and go into the tail other, go into the tail between the legs and go into the other locker room. But um, he knew who you were. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, it was funny. So, um, so yeah, Butch Goring was coaching in, in Utah at the time, which was fun to play for him. And um, so, it, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. I, I just, I love the game a lot, and that's probably why I'm still coaching. But uh, I really, those years I was trying to make it up when I realized hey I'm not going to make it I mean I was just an okay player at the right. IHL level I could fit in but it was clearly I wasn't at the top end and there's no chance I was making the NHL uh Marty offered me that Steve Martinson in San Diego said hey listen you've been trying to move up enough do you think you want to coach someday and I said yes he goes I've got this opportunity I'd like so to be a police my... officer had kind of vanished yeah so no yeah. I'm just curious no. when did you go from the police officer to hey yeah. maybe I want to coach well I think you know, I got that criminology degree at at at, uh, at UMD. My dad had been a policeman, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. Uh, but the more I played, the more I realized I just love being around the game. And I thought, well, one way to do that is is to coach and continue to be around it. And so when Steve brought that up, I thought it was a great opportunity. Now you don't do any coaching during the games. During the games, you're a player. Um, but what you do is, is is you help with lineup decisions. You help with practice planning. You help with recruiting. Do you run a practice? Uh, too, uh, occasionally, you run a practice uh, yeah. and do those things. So it was just a good intro into the behind-the-scenes stuff and how much work a coach actually does during the week to prepare for the games. When – that's just – just made a point there, like so. You ran, you ran practices there. You probably had never run a practice, never. right? Never, other than hockey player. schools in the summer, you know, for youth kids. But right. uh, and you never realized how much 
work goes into planning the practice as a player. So at the pro level, I think this has all changed. It kind of ebbs and flows. Was it a was it a fifty minute let's get in and get out practice? Were these hour and a half where we're kind of power? Those play would type normally practices? be the ones that I would run if I was going to run one. Right? It would be the day where it was going to mostly be drills that all the guys knew that it was a tempo. Let's stay sharp. 35 to 40 minutes, zip it around. Uh, you know, we call them days of, of basically we just wanted to stay sharp, and that's all it was. Now, and there was a lot to work on. Steve would be out there and, and running that. But, uh, and that I would was run more those the days. tactics of the team, yeah, right? Yep, exactly. Power play, Power penalty, play kill. penalty kill, maybe any systems, that type of thing. A lot of what you also had to do was help prepare guys that you would bring in. So if we lost guys to call-ups, we would be bringing in a guy from a lower league. My job would be to sit down with him, help him understand our systems. I mean, I the remember playbook, Butch, I remember when I get called up, Butch Goring would bring me in his office, and he'd pull out the dry erase board, and he'd go through four check, D zone, face offs, and you got to basically digest all that in about twenty minutes and jump on the rink and play. And get a helmet that yeah, matches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The what yep. do they do with the helmets? Like they just yep. had them. Well, they, they had, they had them there, helmet, ready right? to go. Yep, ready to go. God, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. So at some point, uh, the career's winding down. How do you line up that first job? Well. That's interesting that you say that. So I uh, I um, got done playing, and, you know, I, I was actually – I had a contract to go back another year, but I had hurt my neck, and it was getting bad to the point where my one arm was going completely numb every time I get hit. And the doctor, when I came home, said, you know, man, maybe if you're making a few million dollars a year, but my contract was go back to England where I kind of enjoyed the season before. Um, but I, I decided to hang it up, and I, I got a job um, in St. Paul um, – Selling. Oh, it sounds like a regular job. It's a regular one year of my life at a regular job. You one year, like oh my god, like, laboratory. Actually... So it's funny. I wanted to get in pharmaceutical sales. That's what everybody was doing. Yep. I get hired by Abbott Laboratories, really good company. Um, and they but they don't tell you what your product is. Well, we had bought a house in Woodbury, and um, uh, we uh, I got this job. They, my product is Simlac Infant Formula, and I have too many jokes to go with this. I, I bore you all day with the rest of these. So yeah. I don't have kids yet. Um, I just got done playing hockey, and I'm going in educating nurses and doctors on Simlac Infant Formula <laughs> and trying to get them to recommend this to their patients. So I've got this job for about a year and actually kind of enjoying it. I, first time in my life, weekends off. I never knew what that was before. And, and uh, as a hockey player, you, you know, you never Ever. have weekends off. Yeah. Um, and whatnot, and going to some wild games and hanging with buddies, playing Tuesday night hockey with Joe Dedzik and Derek Kurlowski and a bunch of Minneapolis buddies that I got. And uh, Those are um, true Minneapolis Yeah, yeah they guys, are, Northeast, the Northeast. So, <laughs> um, you know, doing that, and uh, about 10 months into it, Scott Sandlin calls, and he goes, hey, Lars, because I, I had, as a player, I always went back to Duluth, and uh, worked the hockey camps back there in the summers. Is that kind of your base, your off-season base? It was base. my off-season base. My wife's from Duluth, too, so we'd go back there and, and base it out of Duluth, and, and I'd work the hockey camps, got to know Scott, and he goes, Lars, I need a guy to work with a D. I'd really like to have an alum, and you're the only guy I know that fits both. You, you know, you want to come back and work here. And, Who had uh, left UMD? Uh, at the time, Lee, Lee Davidson had been there for a while. So and, he had left. Yep. And De was Derek there? No, nope, uh, it was Steve Rollick. That oh, was Steve there. Rollick was yep. there. Okay. Steve I keep yep. them all mixed yeah, up. Yeah, Steve right. was there. So I went and worked with Steve for a couple of years. And then my last year there in 11, when we when we won it, Derek came in and Derek won it in the first year there. And he said, hey, this is easy. This we need to do this all the time. You know? So, um, so uh, yeah, I had that job for one year of my life where I had a, a, a real job, I call it. 
All right. Um, how did you meet your wife? You said she was from Duluth. She went to Denfeld too, uh, younger than me, and uh, uh, she's one of my younger sister's best friends. So we knew each other for quite a, quite a while. Oh, really? And interestingly enough, um, we you know I was older, so I was around as much when they were going through high school and all that. I was in college, but. Um, I was in San Diego playing, and my wife and three other girls from Duluth decided to go to San Diego State University. And my to sister attend school for for school, okay. yeah, for school. And my sister called and said, "Hey, there's this group of girls coming out. You kind of know them. They're my friends. Could you show them around San Diego?" And I showed them around San Diego, and I ended up marrying one of them. No so, way! Yeah, yeah. That's kind of cool. So, cool story. So she's had kind of a your wife's had a, a long she's, winding road, which helps for a coach's wife because. She knows the hockey world. She knows the time grew commitment. She grew up in Duluth, and she was with me when I was playing in, in San Diego for a couple of years with me in all those years in Europe after. Um, so she she understands the game, understands the time commitment, and yeah. uh, that's helped a lot. It's such that you could do an entire podcast on what a Division One, either, especially the assistant coaches. Yes. I mean, the head, no, not that they're lazy, but the assistant coaches are going to Saskatchewan, and they're going to the USHL. They're, they're in the rink Yep. Almost year-round. They're grinding year-round. Year-round. The head coach is a different grind, and obviously, as you know, I've only done it three years now, going on my fourth. Uh, the grind on the head coach is more on the head, I think, and, and my wife would be the first to tell you. She said, you know, when you were assistant, you could come home and you could turn it off a little bit, you know? Really? She goes, now when you come home, I can see your wheels are just spinning, which it, which which they are. There, here's a thing, and I was going to save this one for later, but now we talk about he- the difference between head and assistant. Um, I meet a lot of the assistants in the recruiting trail at the national camps, you know, yep. USHL games, NA games. I see Nikki Oliver everywhere, by the way. I should yeah. say all the time. Um, but you see these guys, and they're working yeah. it, you know. Uh, the head coach, when I meet a head coach, a Division One head coach, there's a certain polish that they have. And I don't mean that like they're polished, yep. but you kind of have to have that polish because you're talking talking about media you're talking you're talking with the ad you're yep. talking about alums if you aren't polished someone's gonna nail you on that like god this this guy really isn't all put together do you, do you see what i mean by the yeah polish? I, I i do i well uh, polish the only thing i polish that when i say that word my buddies always text me after tv games asking me if i polish my head because there's a lot of glare that. on there but um but no, there's a lot more things coming at you as a head coach for sure that you got to be ready for, and and it might be an off ice issue with a player, it, it it might be academics, it might be compliance, it might be housing here with you know whatever where guys are living, it might be the media, could be an alumni, could be all kinds of stuff, right? Whereas an assistant, you kind of get, you know, you've got either the power play or penalty kill you're working on usually, yeah. you've got recruiting, and. That's it. You know, you're, yeah. you've got kind of your narrow world of, of things that you're focusing on, and those things you need to put a ton of time into work in and on. But definitely as a head coach, you have a lot more things coming at How you. How about as a father? You said, you know, you can turn it on, turn it off. When you're an assistant coach and you're in Saskatchewan watching an SJ game yep. and your kids are growing up, it's now tough. you seem to be maybe around a little bit more? A little bit more. Yep, a little bit more, which, which is – which is nice for me with two young kids. My son's 12, my daughter's eight. Um, trying to get to some of their games once in a while. Obviously, my daughter loves gymnastics. My, my son's playing multiple sports, but he's playing hockey this winter. And and uh, I like to get to that stuff as much as I can. But, uh, um, you know, the one thing is, it, no matter what, our weekends are for seven, eight months of the year, as a hockey coach, you don't have a weekend. You know, you've right. got your games. And, you know, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is you're usually at the rink until – 
one, two in the morning after your Friday night game. You're back at the rink by seven o'clock in the next morning and getting ready for your team meeting, your pregame skate. You're there maybe with the recruit in the afternoon. Uh, their family's coming through. You're by the time you get to Saturday night after that game, you're spent. You're done. Yeah, I, I you're know. Spent. I know. So walk through that process. Even if you have a off weekend, that's probably the weekend you're going to go watch. Recruiting. You're going to go. You're going to go to Fargo. You're going to go yep. to Sioux Falls. You're yep. going to go to a high school kid. Or you, you're going to be even in those off weekends. You're going you're to be recruiting. So our first one will be Halloween weekend, and and I'm. It was funny. I was talking to my wife and my. My son's got a tournament that weekend. I'm hoping he's got some Sunday games because I'll, and hopefully they're late enough where you're exactly right. I'll be out Friday and Saturday night recruiting somewhere, and hopefully I can get back late Saturday night or early enough uh, Sunday morning to be able to see him play a couple games. All right, so that's the that was you just walked into the next question simply, and that is, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. You know, there, it never stops, but this is one of the most desired jobs. In there, there's five thousand. When when you when you hired Shyak away from Western Michigan, there must have been a list of yeah. two hundred highly qualified guys yep. that are in the either in the USHL, North American League, everywhere. Yeah, there's yep. lots and lots, or yep. or formal SCSU alums. There's a lot, so it's it's really a, a, a double edged sword. It's a huge demand. What is why is it such a demanded job? you know, to be an assistant or to be a head coach like you are? Well, you, you know what's in it? We were talking about this in the office one day, and we usually get here about 6.30, usually leave about 5.30 uh, during the week. And um, it, it seems like the day goes by in two minutes. I've never – I've always thought, gosh, there's people that actually look at a clock and think, man, when's the day going to be over? For us, it, it's work, but it's a fun work. You love it. At times, just flying by. And I love coming to the rink every day. I know the staff does. Um it, like you, you just love it and you're all in and, and you never, it's funny, it's busy, but it never feels like work. Like no. it, it's, it's, you know, you're enjoying it. One of the things that I would have thought of if I had this position would be, you're also working with kids that are in the twilight yes. of their lives. Yes. Right? You're working with great kids. You're around great people every day. Um, I, I have zero complaints about, and, and I, hopefully people didn't take it when I was talking about those hours and how much you work. No, that's, that's not a bad thing. You're doing it cause you love it. And the other thing don't you're doing it cause you're competitive. And yeah. those days when you're not out on the road, if you take a day off, you're thinking, oh, I bet that other school's at that game right now, and I should be there. And you know, it's it's hard to sit back and take that day off. So uh, the, the other thing about college coaching is, I'm every guy that's in it is in it for the right reasons, and part of the one of those reasons is because they're pretty competitive people, and they're they're going to get after it. That was one of the questions I was maybe going to get to later, and you just I, I want to get to it now. Is these guys, Brad Berry or Bob Motzko or or Sandlin, these guys are obviously in a little bit of a small fraternity of 50, 60 Division One coaches. Uh, you're out in the national tournament last year, and you're obviously played against Mankato, and you have to play against you know UMDs there. How do you separate, you know, coach? A Brett from Brett and and Scott because you obviously have a yep. ton of history and your friends for decades. Yep. When they're winning and they're losing, what is yeah. your especially UMD because it's like you said you grew up a Bulldog yep. fan, you play for the Bulldogs, and to watch them win or watch them lose, do you, is it is is there a competitive nature there? Or? For sure there is, and I Scott and I usually talk every week to every couple weeks, but we we don't talk the week before we play each other. 
there, no, you can tell that there, there is weird, that's weird, right? you know, because he wants to beat us. We want to beat them. And, 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 you know, to be honest, maybe I cheer for them a little bit when we're not playing them or they're playing somebody else or whatever, but there's nobody I want to beat more than them when we play them too. So yeah. you're right. There's two sides to that for sure. It's kind of like, uh, I always talk about growing up, uh, Tony Burns, a kid that I grew up with that played at St. Cloud here, we would we'd take the bus down to the Y downtown, we'd play racquetball, and he was my best friend, but there's nobody I wanted to beat more than him. Yeah. And he, there's nobody he wanted to beat more than me. And I think there's a little bit of that. There's always that. There's a friendship, but there's there's those competitive juices where you want to beat the other the other guys, oh, too. Oh, no yeah. doubt about it. You know, that was the whole thing with the growing up as a kid and then to watch that happen at, at, this, at the – it was at the X when you guys won the, the national championships. Let's go to that. I mean, to me, that seems like a, a magical moment because it never really f- – I mean, the Haiti, that 84, 84 yep. those teams were so special. Um, and if they didn't win it, it – almost you got the feeling – me growing up in the Twin Cities, God, if they didn't win it then – they're yep. never going to win it. Well, I remember turning to Derek Plant when we were walking out for the overtime against Michigan, and I I said, we better win this thing because you don't know where you're ever going to get back. I mean, you think of it, the program had, hadn't been in that game for 30 years and only been in that game once in a 60-year program history. Yeah. You know, and you, you just don't know. And so obviously to be able to beat Michigan in the overtime and, and get the first one and Kyle Schmidt's goal and in Minnesota and the whole thing uh, against a team like Michigan who would have been their 10th. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of that need, David right? versus Goliath feel, yeah. you know. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, um, I, I really, really, that it, it was a huge moment in the program's history and, and uh, it was just fun, obviously, personally to be a part of it. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through the the track here because you got a cool kind of track where you also, you know, were the GM head coach in Sioux City, yep. and that obviously was a great preparation tool for the rest of your coaching career because it, you had to run the you were recruiting to yep. some degree you were you were managing you were learning the Exodus and O's but you really understood the landscape of the USHL better than anyone. Yeah, that helped a lot. And honestly, you know, you talked about the difference between being a head coach and an assistant. You had to learn to feel that pressure of making the decision. You know, as an assistant coach, you get to give your opinion a lot, but the head guy's got to make the decision, you know. And uh, being in that spot where it's on you uh, to make those final decisions, whether it's lineup, whether it's who you, we decide to draft or those type of things, I think I think it was an invaluable part of my growth as a, as a coach to be able to go through, you know what, to be honest, get – get uh, stomped on a couple times here and there, have not things go, not things, some things not go so well, have to find a way to get through it. Um, you know, I'll never forget that we were early in the season and, you know, I was maybe still, heck, I still had the national championship ring on, still thinking that was pretty cool. And, you know, my one assistant was kicked out uh, for abuse, rep, abusing the official verbally and the other one was on the road recruiting and we had had a really tough start and we're getting beat by Tri-City 6 nothing at home. Uh, I'm the only one on the bench. Our own fans are booing us. And I thought, man, maybe I shouldn't have left. <laughs> but yeah. now looking back at having to go through those things, I think uh, uh, obviously learned a lot from. Um, you had a lot of coaching influences uh, along the way, either being assistant or head coach. Do you ever see yourself, you look back and go, Mike Surge was the guy, you know, he's, he's a big influence on me or whatever, Vukanich? Bill Vukanich. You know, Bill Vukanich yeah. at, at Denfeld or whatever, all the different professional coaches. Do you ever catch yourself 
saying or acting like one of those coaches. It happens to me when I yeah. coach. I'm like my peewee football coach was probably the biggest influence on me, and that's I'm not even I'm coaching hockey. Yep. But some of the things that he taught us, as far as being prepared and knowing the you know and don't fear the opponent, ty- these th- types of things, I still use today. For sure. And I and I think all those people that you mentioned, I took a little bit from each one for sure, and I catch myself saying some things or or or, or remembering some of the things that they taught. Um, but I think the most important thing that you have to do as a coach is, and I hope I'm right on this, it's, it's got to come, th- it's got to though then be filtered through and delivered uh, based on how you are and who you Brett. are. Yes, I, I can't, I, you know, even when I came in and when Bob left, Bob had, you know, what he had done for this program, where he'd taken it and how he'd coached here. Um, I couldn't come in and try to be Bob Monsko because I'm not Bob Monsko. I had to come in and, and, and try to be me and, and, and be authentic and, and make some mistakes along the way for sure and le- learn from them and whatnot. But I think even though you learn from a ton of people, it, it, you have to be you because the, at this level, the players are too smart. If you're trying to be somebody you're not, they're going to sniff it out. Oh, yeah. I, I, I've never – no one's ever said that about you, that I, that I could do in my research, that no one's ever said that you would ever have tried to be anybody. But it, it, you have a real unique personality um, as far as, as a coach. I mean, first level – the highest level, everyone says this guy is the highest level. He's the best. He's the most sought after coach. When the, when you came in here, it was the best hire. Everyone's like, oh, that was the best hire. Uh, Lars is the guy that helped build the 11 team. He helped build those 17. Eight, those You had your handprints on a lot of those national championships. Well, I was just a spoke in the wheel too, you know, yeah, part of the, part of the process for sure. And, and it was, I don't know, the thing that I bet found, and I've been just, extremely blessed and fortunate to be around. I mean, I've been around great people wherever I've been. I mean, I got to work for Scott Sandel. The guy's got three national championships. I got to work with Steve Rollick. I've got to work with Derek Plant, Jason Herter. I've got to work with uh, just, I I don't want to leave anybody out, but, and obviously the staff here now, Mike Gibbons, one of the best in the game. Got, you know, know, Gibby and I got to work together. Now we got, you know, Nick Oliver. I don't think there's a more passionate St. Cloud guy than Nick Oliver, a captain here, one of the best, I think best captains ever to be here. Uh, a top-notch person works harder than anybody cares about this program um and, and then we get to get Shicker coming uh, with all the experience he's had I was looking for something specific I wanted to keep growing as a head coach and and he had been a head coach for a long time and he knew what it was like to go through those you. things and he would challenge me and yeah. I could learn from him and so I think the biggest thing for me is um is I've been lucky to learn and be around really good people my whole time in college hockey which is which has been just fantastic all right, I, I hate to be Debbie down here, but we got to talk about some heartbreaks. Yep. You've had, you've had already, you've had some heartbreaks yep. here at St. Claus. It's as so much success as you had. Yep. You've also had some heartbreaks. You got the AIC game up in Fargo, which has ha- got to be one of those oh. the lowest moments, right? Hardest. It was the. I've never been in a locker room after with that much pain in it. In all honesty, because those kids cared so much, they wanted it so bad. We all believed that we could get over that hump. It had been a tough couple of years before that, and uh, and we had just really believed we could do it. And when it didn't happen, I, I honestly don't know if I felt worse for a group of kids. Obviously, personally, we felt devastated too. But, I, you know, in all honesty, more for them because they just wanted to prove that they could get it done. And I, I still believe to this day that that disappointment and that group still left the legacy on this program and what's happened the next couple of years. Right. I, I think I think what they helped build is a foundation to get us to where we got to last year. You mentioned Gibby here a, a minute ago, and I that was one of my 
objectives was to talk about the legacy of him coaching here for 13 years across, you know, all the different dimensions that he had here. And he was just, I know he's a Bemidji State grad, but he kind of will always have a oh, little bit of a St. Cloud State yes, tattoo on his sure. leg. You know, he kind of thing. It. He's just, he's he just, his, and I know Bob was big and I know Dahl was big, but he was an instrumental part of where, we, when we sit here today, uh, I remember I was here for a, a Bantam tournament and he gave me a tour of the facility. I'm like, it was almost like a dad kind of showing off his new house that yeah. he built. Pride, he a lot so of pride in the program, right? So proud. Place. And I think that was what made him such a great recruiter. I think when the parents and the kids would walk around this place with him, they would feel how much he truly believed in it and how passionate he was. You can't fake that. No. And, and I think that's what drew a lot of people. And let's face it, we all – we're all better coaches when we have better players and better people, right? And Gibby was a pipeline of, of recruits coming into this program and that, that really helped them uh, be at the top for so long. And he was great. Like, he whenever he and I would spend, you know, 10 minutes at the rink together via text message, it was always some kind of barb towards the Gophers oh, yeah. or yeah. the Bulldogs. Or yeah. UM, or he was great. North Dakota. Just a little one. Not yeah. bad, but a charming oh, little barb. I'll and give you a little story. Is, right? So I, I'm coaching at Ohio State at the time, and we're recruiting a kid named Robbie Jackson. Robbie ended up being a pretty good player at St. Cloud. So... Uh, and I knew Gibby real well. Gibby recruited me. He tried to recruit me to Northern Michigan coming out of Denfield High School when Gibby was working there. Yep. And uh, so anyway, Robbie calls me at Ohio State. He goes, Coach, I've, I've decided on St. Cloud. And I said, really? Uh, I said, can you tell me why? He goes, well, I mean, you know, I'm going to be on billboards there. When I walk down the street, people are going to know my name. When I go across campus, people are going to be cheering. He went on, and, and I could just hear this stuff coming out of Gibby's mouth and uh, the cell that he was it's putting awesome. on Robbie, and Robbie Robbie bit on it. But, uh, but no, Gibby get a, did a great turned job. turned out good for him. turned out great for Robbie. Robbie had a great career here. I loved coaching him. It was He was in, in, in my first year here, a huge part of it. Uh, Robbie's a great kid and a great player, and it, it worked out really well for Robbie. But I could just hear Gibby telling this kid that stuff. Stuff. And uh, kind, of little... uh, kind of funny how it all came out. But Gibby, certainly, I think one of the legends in this game as far as a recruiter. I don't know. There weren't too many better over over he that was much time. a really dynamic guy. Um, all right, so let's talk about, you know, we talked about the SC game. And then the last year's team, I think you finished third in the league? Second. Second in we the had league. a lot of seconds last year. We okay. finished second in the regular season, second in the league tournament, and second you, in the country. Yeah. So a lot of twos. A lot of twos, but there's some banners. You know, you can yep. hang, you can hang some banners, and you yep. get a lot to be proud of and a lot to build on. How's this year's team compared to last year's team? I know you're obviously ranked top five, but how are the, how's it different from last year? You know, I think uh, last year the first thing that went up on the board was when the league when sorry when the national rankings came out, we were nowhere to be found, and because I know there was belief in the room. Uh, there was belief in the room and there was belief in the staff that we could be pretty good. Now, I'd be lying to tell you if I would have said, hey, I think we're going to be in the national championship game, but I thought we had a chance to be pretty darn good. Which goes to show you, it goes back to you and Derek were talking at that Michigan game. We got to win this. Yep. Because you might not get back here. Yep. And there's also teams like St. Cloud and UMass who never were given a, a sniff to begin the season. Yep. And they're playing in and the they're national there. championship And game. they're there. And I think – um, just like it has done for some other programs, uh, I think that taste of getting that close and being through it once uh, 
can help a lot. Now, it's not going to just happen because we've been there. Uh, the focus has been that we need to start over again, and the guys can't forget how hard they had to work throughout the entire year to get there. Uh, but I know this team believes that they have an opportunity and a chance if we if we put in as much work and effort and this team stays as close as it's been that, uh, that we have an opportunity to get back there and, and try it again. Uh, but you can't be thinking about the end of the season at the beginning, and that's kind of our, our main focus right now is staying real narrow-focused and on, on the task at hand. So if you were to put it in a bottle, a little formula in a bottle to, you know, the get to a national title game bottle, you've been there, you've seen it. Yep. What is in there? What's the secret sauce to getting to that national championship game? Well, I, I think the, the biggest thing is um, – for me of what I've seen are, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a friend that watched all the practices at the frozen four this last year on the, the day that you just get into town, all four teams practiced. And he's a college coach, a division one college coach. And he said the two teams that had been there versus the two teams that hadn't, and we were one that hadn't, the two teams that had been there were free flowing guys were laughing. They were loose, but focused. Uh, they were just having a normal practice. Like it was getting ready for any big weekend. And the other two teams looked extremely tight. And I don't know if and us so being UMD one of those and, and UMass, UMass had been yeah, there yeah, and us, yeah. you know, and, yep. uh, and, you um, had Mankato, yeah, right? and, um, and I felt that tightness. I felt it with our team. I, I would say I probably even felt it a little bit. I was trying not to, but cause I had, I had been there before and was trying to, uh, keep it out. We, we called it last year, just our day by day focus. And Hey, this is just a, a practice like any other and let's go out and be good. And, uh, but there was a different, there was a different tightness and anticipation uh, than I'd ever felt with our team or even me probably going into that practice. And I don't think there's any, um, there, there's any other way than having to go through it and yeah. having, having to experience it. I got two quick COVID questions and we'll go to some other topics that I thought that are really important. So the national title was there, were they played in empty? Was it empty? 5,000. Oh, there 5, was fans. Yeah, 5,000. Oh, okay, right. yeah, which that, was fun. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. And it's amazing because after going the whole year, 5,000 5, felt like 50,000. <laughs> it was okay. great. All right. Yeah. All right. There um, was an energy in the building. It didn't feel dead at all, whether it was how, how they did the music and the whole light show right. and everything in Pittsburgh right. with the 5,000. Uh, it felt like a good atmosphere, actually. That's good. And the other one is is the pod down yeah, in Omaha. Yeah, what a great deal. That was what was good. What a home run by our league and Josh yeah. Fenton and everybody that put the work into it. I mean, I'll tell you what, the, the first game, I didn't have to say a word. I mean, the guys were just, <laughs> they just wanted to get, I'd never seen a team with so much energy and so ready to get on the ice. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a lot. We're just thankful to be playing. And and so yeah. whatever else we have to deal with, okay, yeah, we got to be away from our families for 21 days. Guys got to sleep in a hotel for 21 days. We're going to eat almost the exact same chicken and pasta for 21 days. Who cares? Uh, yeah. Let's and not complain the about a thing. There, let's, right? let, the attitude was we're thankful to be playing hockey. Did anyone go down there and get thumped? Did anyone go uh, home? With a, I don't think. I mean, there was a other than I think Western Michigan Western lost their goalie early, lost so they goalie, took a tough game. Really hurt. It right? hurt them long. Well, I don't say long term because maybe they grew through it, but they, their team ended up being really darn good by the end of the pod and even going into the second part Correct. of the season. So uh, some of those early season struggles can be really good for teams. Uh, yeah. Um, we could get back into that again if you wanted to. We're talking about that AIC year, but um, um, sometimes those early season struggles are, are, are a good thing. But I, I thought it was great hockey in the pod. Yeah. You know what else I loved is people. everybody was watching. Like everybody. We I was covered getting, every game. Yes. Just because I'm like, well, there's nothing uh, else happening. Exactly. 
exactly. Let's start just pumping out tweets yep. and start watching it. Was it. it was great. That's how I knew everybody. about the Western Michigan goalie. Yep. Like, everybody was how watching. How else would I know about the Western Michigan goalie? It was so but, much fun. It was so much fun. And what I thought, just a home run that set the league up for the rest of the season. And perfect timing. Perfect timing. They did a great job. The people in Omaha did a great job. The league did a great job. It was fantastic. It was great. Um, so to, to talk about, uh, you know, just a couple more topics. Uh, here's one that is really hot these days is, is the St. Thomas topic. Yep. Now we have our sixth team here in the state, Division One, which is just awesome, by the way. I think we got room for about eight, so you yep. know, you know, yep. so let's let's keep building it, yep. right? Does that help or hurt St. Cloud State's program to having another Division One program, especially with a school like St. Thomas, which is a little bit different than yep. the Mankato and Duluth and yep. the Bemidji's? A little bit different. Uh, well, number one, and and I know you and I talked about this a little bit before we did the interview. Um, it's funny we're sitting in Herb Brooks National Hockey Center right now. I think it's Herb's legacy living on. You know, Herb came here to St. Cloud to start Division One hockey here. Why? To give more kids an opportunity in the state to play Division One hockey. And it did. And it did. Seventy-five percent of your roster is Minnesota yep, kids. Yep. And it's grown and grown and grown. And so yes, does St. Thomas bring a little more competition to us for the Minnesota kid for sure? But it does for all the other schools too. Uh, the sports growing in the state. There's really good players out there. I know we'll keep finding the ones that are the right fit for us. And and we're the right fit for them. So I, I, you know, I don't worry too much about that. I'm, I'm excited that there's another program and more opportunity, not only for players, but coaches too, I guess, you know, yes. uh, opportunity for a guy like Corey Leyland, who's been in this game forever in the state of Minnesota, um, not to mention Rico and, uh, yeah. and, you know, and, uh, uh, Leon, but I, I think of Corey as a Minnesotan and a guy that's just really fought to get to this level for so long, uh, paying off for him too. Okay. Um, so, uh, let's talk topic. I call there's no room in the end topic. Yep. Like there is just so many great players, so many great players that are sitting in junior hockey right now that are 18, 19, 20 years old. And there are so few spots. And we, you know, everybody who knows anything about college hockey and high school hockey here in, in the area knows that with the additional year, the plus one, we'll call it year, that also means there's fewer and fewer spots yep. for everybody. And it, it's, it, it goes down to junior hockey. There's fewer spots in the USHL. There's fewer spots in the NA. What, walk through that process, and I know it's a huge benefit to you guys, but it also is a benefit, but there sword. are some perils that come with it. Uh, first off, I'll say here's who is going to benefit the most this year, I think, is the fans because college hop hockey is going to be older and deeper than ever. I, I think it's going to be the best competition. I think it's going to be uh, the most parity. Uh, I, I would be shocked if this isn't one of the best years of college hockey ever. Uh, I know you probably are a, as big a, a rube about this as I am, but if you looked at the scoreboard from last weekend – you can't help but notice what yes. happened, right? Yes. I mean, you're seeing it. You saw what Mercyhurst did yep. with the Gophers. Yep. You saw what Michigan Tech did to Wisconsin. Yep. You're starting to see, the, you know, the mid mid level yep. teams are are just as good or one even to sixty better. is going to be pretty close. Yes, it's going to be really close, and uh, it always has it, it always has been in some way. That's been the fun thing about college hockey. I think is the parity in the game. Um, but it's going to be even more parity. And I think so right away the fans are going to have a treat this year because the hockey is going to be phenomenal. And I don't have the numbers. I wish I had a statistical from year to year, but it seemed like 
more and more players were opting to stay in school. There were less Scott Reedies and yep. more, uh, what was the kids' names at Michigan, those those four or five kids. you know, yep. they, they, Kent Johnson yep. decided, oh, I'm not going to go pro after one year. I'm yep. going to go, right? It seems that the number of players going pro was smaller, which gets, leads to our yep. point of why, how how good the hockey How good gonna the hockey is going to be. And, and then going back to your point of, Unfortunately, the the if there's a negative side, there's fewer opportunities for kids to come up and fill holes. So, uh, I know all the colleges are tr- trying to do the right thing by that. They've got verbally committed recruits that had planned on and coming in in certain years. You have to make sure you're communicating with those guys because, you know, most programs, including ours, we really like our seniors. They're they're great kids. They're really good players. They've helped this program get to a really high level. And if they want to come back, you're going to let them come back. Um, but a lot of times you won't know that until maybe March. Um, you know, if they all have good years, they might want to come back. If one of them has an absolute great year and he gets an NHL offer, he might sign it and be gone. So you're really trying to communicate with your recruits as much as you can. Uh, you don't want to communicate it too much with your guys other than we had a brief meeting with each of them at the beginning of the year which way they'd be leaning in some certain situations but you want them focused on what they're doing right now and not thinking too much about the future future. you know so you're kind of trying to balance that a little bit but uh um with with the tsunami of things that changed with the covid uh extra year of eligibility not just for the senior class but the whole team so last year's whole team gets an extra year of eligibility the freshmen are essentially freshmen again sophomore sophomore same all the way up um so that's going to be a four to five year kind of uh um, process I of, think for of, of sure go- it's going to take three yeah, years for sure. to work through at least three yeah um and that's gonna that's gonna have to play out now it makes it tough on some of your recruits because you you got to tell a lot of guys you're not sure if there's going to be room for them to come in or not a certain year you may have planned uh, so there's gonna have to be some good communication there with your recruits um and the other thing that changed is the transfer portal and at the same time as the covid rules all of a sudden now transfers don't have to sit out so uh, there's a lot more transfers in the portal than there's ever been because uh, you, know, you can transfer and not have to have that penalty of sitting out for a year and go right in and play. So you're seeing teams with four, five, six transfers on their team and, and players that are staying back for an extra year. Uh, it just really has changed the whole dynamic of how you prepare year to year on your recruit list and, and who you think's coming in. Let's talk specifically about the uh, O1s. These are the 20-year-olds yep. that are going to run out a year of eligibility of juniors than the O2s that that's the those are the two classes that are going to hit hurt the most yes. I would think in this whole dynamic I think by the time we get to threes and fours yep, it should shake out it a little should bit shake itself yep. out a little bit better what do you tell a kid who is verbally committed to you uh, and you don't know about it. like let's just, I'll throw Micah Miller because I know yep. him he's a yeah, Minnesota yeah. kid. But Micah Miller's got that extra year next year exactly. to come back here. Let's use and just as an it's example, a great example, right? So yep. Micah comes, he's got another year, and heck, if I'm you, and if I I'm, tell you what, I take if, Micah Miller back in a heartbeat. <laughs> if I'm you, yep. I'm yes. taking Micah Miller, especially Absolutely. the way his game has just yep. steadily gotten better, and the fact that he's an unbelievable kid and he fits in the culture here, and you want those guys back, right? So what do you tell the kid who's one who's verbally, and I don't know your list yep. that well, but what do you tell that kid who might not be back, might be able to do it, and, and he wants to get a chance to play somewhere? Yes, and that's that's the honest, tough conversations that we're going to have to have with some guys all across the country, all these schools, especially with a kid that doesn't have an, another year of junior hockey left. Yeah. Um, because the last thing you want to do is wait until March or April and then tell him, you know what, sorry, Where but there's room? no room when we finally find out. So um, those are just going to have to be some real honest conversations about right now it's a maybe. 
And, and in that case, if it's a maybe, you know, maybe they want to go back into the pool and see if there's a school that for sure is going to have a spot. Uh, but those are some, some conversations that I think we're going to try to do. the. I, I know college hockey is going to try to do the right thing by those kids, have the conversations early enough in the season where they can kind of decide what they want to do and what the risks are as well. All right, you mentioned the portal. I mean, you, yep. you've been in a great interview, by the way. This is, but you're making this easy. <laughs> <on me. laughs> um, the portal. Do you ever go into it, or do you ever get a little nervous when you open up the files, or when someone in your staff comes and tells you that player A or player B is now in the portal, or a player from your team is in the portal? It's a little bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's different. It is. It is. It almost feels like free agency. Yeah, a little bit, and it's it's a new phenomenon for all of us that we're trying to learn how to deal with it the right way. Uh, I know when it first started, we're checking that thing every morning. You know, it's like the free agent wire yeah. and, and, who, and who's going on there. Um, which is interesting, and, and especially now because these fifth-year kids, you know, uh, they can – maybe they want a new experience. Maybe they want to – you know, Seamus Donahue was interesting. He wanted the grad program that we had here. There's a sports management grad program yeah. that we had, we had here at St. Cloud State that was really attractive to him. So he had finished his four-year degree and, uh, and could, you know – could transfer um and we had the right program it was the right fit for hockey wise so uh, a lot of these times too it's no offense to the school that they were at right. maybe for grad school they want something different or they want a different experience so it's really changed uh, uh you know i guess what has changed at is the discussions in the recruiting room of really trying to be patient with recruiting knowing that there may be an opportunity to pick up uh, a transfer here and there that can help your team immediately. You want to make sure they're the right kid for sure, and I'll go back to two years for us. Seamus Donahue and Jared Cockrell couldn't have been bigger home runs. They they yeah. fit into the culture, and they're big pieces for us. And um, and yet now you have the ability to do that a little bit. So on the other hand, you better be pretty patient and, and not over-recruit because you want to make sure that maybe you got a spot for those guys. All right, so last question. I know you, you our time's limited here. Uh, let's talk about this year's team. You know, you, you brick by brick kind of just building towards some things. Um, you know, national runner up, many of the kids returning back. Um, you're a little bit more the hunted yep. versus the hunter, no pun intended, yep. uh, than usual. How does, does that affect you guys as as a team this year well it's interesting because in my short time here whether it was the team i inherited from well, bob, bob, inherited and bob team was you know bob special. and rabs and gibby yeah, i mean i, yeah. I you, know, you talk about walking into a, a great situation but yeah. as a first year coach and as a team we had to learn how to handle the target on our back uh and then we kind of had a rebuild year which yep. i was so proud of those guys or how they handle it we started the year only winning two of the first 12 games and ended up getting back about 500 Almost at 500. one point yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh and really you know finished uh, mid-pack in this league, which in this league is tough to do. Um, and then this this last year where we rode the underdog roll all year, well, now we're flipping back to that uh, target on your back a little bit. It's a little tricky. And what we've talked about is um, a lot with the team, The only there's only one set of expectations that really matter to us, and that's our own. How do we feel about ourselves? What do we believe about ourselves? What are our goals? Um, and and we've it's interesting, we've kind of talked about you know, the biggest word for our guys is they feel they're a family. It's the biggest part of our culture. And we're talking the other day about one cool thing about families is families usually don't, don't care what anybody else thinks about them, whether it's good or bad. Right. You know, whether people think we stink or they think we're really good, 
it doesn't really matter. It's what how we feel about ourselves, what our expectations are. We're trying to keep that a very narrow internal focus on our beliefs, who we are, our day-to-day prep. We've even talked about uh, each week by week, really all we're focused on is that, is that week's preparation, not where we are in the polls, not being hunted or being the hunter. Right. All those things are outside things that other people can think about if they want to. But all we really want to think about is how can we be the best on Friday night starting right. Monday morning. Right. And that's it. All right, so one of my favorite things about Youth Hockey Hub is I meet these Bantam coaches, right? This is going to be weird while I'm going to get this, but you meet these Bantam coaches, and, and you know, and you know, three years later, they're coaching a high school team. And then with all these high school coaches you meet, all of a sudden, like a Gibby, like all of a sudden they end up on yep. a high school staff, or they help, end up playing like, what's the advice that you would give, whether it be a Bantam coach or a high school coach, what's the one bit of advice you would give them in order to maybe remember we talked about it's a really hard job to get there's only 60 of them so yep. what's the advice that you would give to these guys as a coach don't be afraid to talk to people don't be afraid in a rink to you know what um hey if you know whoever the coach might be if you see bob mosco standing there don't be afraid to go talk to him these guys the thing i find about the coaching fraternity is 99 percent of them are great guys and they'll give you a little bit of time and if, if you go over and ask a guy like that hey how'd you get into it you know what were the things that you did along the way that you thought helped you um I, I would say don't be afraid to go up and talk to guys like that. It doesn't have to be just Bob Motzko, you know, whether not saying, you know, an assist. If it's Nick Oliver, yeah, you know, Nick Oliver would give you the shirt off his back because he loves this game and, and, he, and he's just a great person. I know any Bantam coach or high school coach that walks up and asks Nick a couple questions, Nick's going to give him time. Nick's going to share with what he's been through. So um, the biggest thing that I've, I've uh, um, experienced, and it, 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 it's funny, but it, I remember going up to some coaches when I was younger and, and asking them questions and just finding how willing people were to want to help you. And so that, that would be my advice. Don't be afraid to, and, and, the, and the personal thing I think is a little bit better if you can. The email thing can get a little bit tough because it's funny as a college coach, you probably get 30 to 40 emails a day from recruits and all, all kinds of people. So you're trying to filter through that a little bit. Yeah. But you get the opportunity in person, I would say don't pass it up. Go over and, and talk to one of those guys. Uh, this has been a great time in person with you, Brett. Thank you. Thank you to our sponsor, the Minnesotan, uh, for sponsoring today's show. As part of this, uh, Brett will get himself a little Minnesotan apparel because he is a true Minnesotan. Thanks for joining me today, Brett. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Brett Larson, head coach, St. Cloud State.